Hello and welcome to Well I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about anything and everything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us. But one of the main things that Mum's dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition. Not least, that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. A few years ago, I stumbled across a wonderful local project, initiated by a group of church elders. Launched in the village of Debenham in Suffolk in 2009, its aim was simple, to care for older, vulnerable people in the community where they belonged among family and friends, so as to avoid them having to leave their neighbourhood, their loved ones, all that was well known and comforting, to go and live in distant care homes somewhere else, which is what just over half of these older residents were having to do. Put like that, it seems such an obvious objective. And it was with this basic aim in mind, and nothing much more in the way of a plan, that the group organised a public meeting in the village hall. It being England and Suffolk and April, the night was miserable and rainy, so they didn't expect many, if any, to turn up. More than 70 locals came along. It was standing room only, probably without being rude, because it was about them, it involved them, it affected them. And that evening, the guiding principles of the Debenham project were hammered out. These were that the scheme should be local, operating within a four and a half mile radius, benefiting and implemented by people motivated to offer their help to those they knew, that it should avoid bureaucracy and concentrate on what could be done, not stress about what couldn't. Its philosophy is neatly summed up in a catchphrase worthy of Saatchi and Saatchi at their best. Make it local, Make it simple, make it work. It's amazing what you can achieve when you put your mind to it and are personally invested. Within six months, with the collaboration and support of the local mental health trust, adult care services, three major charities, the library, the church and the post office, an advice and information centre and an activities and social hub have been set up. The first food and friends lunch club held, a website created and a confidential telephone helpline launched. Over the years, the project has evolved and matured with the addition of activities such as the Carers Club, the Info Cafe, a community transport scheme, a relaxation therapy group, a reminiscence group, specialist memory and support services and a network of trained volunteer carers ready to step in at short notice. Schemes and activities have developed and evolved evaluations have been undertaken, and other parts of the country have looked to Debenham for inspiration. A big part of the project's success is that it works from the bottom up, not the top down. Volunteers don't support professionals, but vice versa. As the project's chairman put it so well, we believe that this is the only way that truly person-centred care can be delivered, caring for the community, in the community, by the community. He, is Lyndon Jackson and he joins me today to talk about the last 11 years in Debenham and what it has taught him and how the community responded to the coronavirus pandemic. The answer to the latter was, as you might expect, 
quickly, practically and thoughtfully. But I'll leave Lyndon to tell us all about that. So, Lyndon Jackson, a very warm welcome to Well I Know Now. Thank you and uh, hello Pippa. Hello. Before we hear all about the project, could you tell us a little about your background, your career, and when you first came to live in the village of Debenham? Well, firstly, thank you for that introduction to the project. It sounds a lot grander than it probably is, I suppose. We are just a community, and perhaps we just do things the way that we think makes common sense. But speaking personally, I had no connection with social services and mental health, with dementia, My career was in the field of technology. I was a uh, research scientist and subsequently manager of a largish program, finally working on how to develop and create very complicated systems like the telephone system, like the internet and so on. But the other one thing that did come out was that almost all systems are very complicated and it's difficult to understand them. So we have to learn and appreciate and feel our way around them. Mm. So that's where I came from. Mm. I worked for that now famous and some people think infamous corporation called BT. Mm. Um, We won't hold that against you, Lyndon. We've managed to get through on the telephone after all. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And I retired early in 1991 to pursue an alternative vacation. Mm. You went to volunteer, didn't you? I volunteered with the local mental health trust at St. Clement's Hospital in Ipswich. And uh, I was working with a lot of the older residents, the ladies and gentlemen, some of whom had been institutionalised for most of their life. Others were just very frail. But most of those had... It wasn't called dementia in those days, really. It was, you know, senile dementia or Mm. senility. But I learnt an awful lot about... uh, how dementia affects people, Mm. particularly in the elderly, Mm. and how to communicate and how to, well, begin to care. Mm. But, of course, the professional staff on those wards were were amazing, Mm. amazing. And you say, in fact, that that was one of the first things you know now that you didn't before, you know, working at St Clement's taught you that, about the reality of dementia as an illness and the very specific difficulties it presents to individuals, and also, which is another one of the things you said, you know, the way it affects whole families. Well, I didn't at that time think in terms of how it affected old old families. My experience was, like most, I looked on the people that uh, I was working with as patients Mm, in the classic NHS tradition, and uh, there was very little connection with the families at all. It wasn't until later on in the uh, 90s that my mother developed dementia Mm -hmm. and I was the primary family carer. Mm. It was fortunate in a way that she was living in Debenham, about three quarters of a mile up the road. But, um, well, it was a difficult time, as you can imagine. And I I really learned then Mm. that this illness is not an illness of the patient It's an illness that affects the whole family, Mm. particularly the family carer, Mm. bears the brunt. Yes. I think it's often not until you're personally affected in that way that you really begin to understand that, isn't it? Certainly the way with me and my mother as well. Well, I'm I'm sure, and I'm sure you, like you, it was the stress and the constant repetition and the, Mm. the fear 
and the fact that I would go in in the morning and say, well, Mother, why did you buy all that ice cream from the man? And she would say, did I? Mm, mm. I said, I know you did because half of it's already gone. Mm. And she was a lady who had rampant diabetes. Mm. As you say, it's hugely stressful, isn't it? And often very difficult to know how to react if you haven't, you know, been made aware of how it might be good to react. Because I think often sort of challenging people can make things <laughs> more sort of, can exacerbate things on both sides. I suppose at that time I learned that dementia is not a mental illness. It's a physical illness of the brain. I suppose my background said, well, if it's a physical illness of the brain, then it's, we can look on it as being the computer's hardware rather than the computer's software. Yes. And if, let's say, Pepper, you had broken your hip, you would think it cruel of me to say, that, well, you better go and get the shopping. Of course, exactly. Because it would be impossible. Exactly. When people develop particularly short-term memory loss... Mm. You know, to ask them to remember mm. or to be cross when they don't remember. It's ridiculous because they can't help it any more than, mm. uh, than you can. Mm. So mm. one had to learn to treat everything as if it's the first time you've heard it. Yes. Or, well, OK, that's happened, we'll yes. try again. It's a bit like a, a child. Mm. That's, that's very honest of you to sort of talk about that, and that's so common. And then, of course, along with everything else that you're experiencing emotionally as a carer comes a guilt I think often uh, oh. when you do realize and I mean with, with my mother I was often you know sort of shouting at her I'm ashamed to say because she was always putting my father into jeopardy really by what she was doing and you know you you can't understand it but when I did realize I felt terrible guilt well it is exactly that it's it's guilt it's pain it's distress mm. and mm. The family carer mm. cares because they love this person. And that mm. person has changed mm. and is unable to be the person that they used to be. Mm. But that person's still inside. Exactly. No, they aren't um, still there. And it's up to us. Mm. They can't adapt. They are not behaving according to the norm. Mm. And can't. Mm. So we have to adapt to their model. We've got to adapt. You know, that's exactly right. Anyway, let's get on to the Debenham project now, because this was really fascinating. I mean, when I first came across it, I thought, A, it's so obvious, as are all the best ideas. And just to put a few figures on it, you realise that of the 200 frail elderly in the area, 42% were living with dementia, which, you know, would be a sort of but possibly slightly higher than average in Suffolk. I don't know. But anyway, I actually think it's pretty much the norm. And... 110 of the people, so that's over half of the people, of those frail elderly people uh, previously living in Debenham, had had to move into residential care or nursing homes more than four miles away. The basic problem is in Debenham, we weren't considered large enough to really have a full residential care home. Uh, and so really the Debenham sits between a number of towns. Yes. And that's, and the care homes get located in and around the towns. And so, as far as we're concerned, we think in terms of the four-mile rule. Four miles is halfway between here and somewhere else in Suffolk. Yes, I love that definition. And, large. and so, towns such as Framlingham and Stowmarket and I, they are eight miles away. Mm. Mm. And we tend to, to talk about seven, 10, 15 miles is too far. Mm. Mm. Particularly when the family carer is often a partner 
husband and wife, in the same age group as the person who exactly. is in care. Mm, mm. And they tend to be equally frail. Mm, mm, mm. It's not like, a, you know, I would just jump in the car and No, see, quite. Uh, Things get a little bit more complicated and difficult, don't they? So this group of you came up with this idea and then you were very surprised at the turnout that night at the meeting. But it was extraordinary, wasn't it, that the, the principles were hammered out at that meeting and it was actually, right, make it local, make it simple, well, make it work. Yeah, the Saatchi and Saatchi is hindsight, really. When one looks back on it, when you're... Mm, okay. Because mm. we've had, a, a, you know, over the years, we've continually looked back over the project in a way because we've wanted to do that to... Because people have asked for presentations and uh, yes, lectures yes. and things like this. So you do that sort of thing anyway. But it was very clear in the beginning at that meeting that, firstly, we wanted it for the community, Mm. And there were a number of reasons for that. But primarily it was if you are doing it for your neighbours and friends, etc., it becomes an act of love rather than a, a volunteering job. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, you, you just naturally feel you would more likely to do it for your friends and neighbours than for a national charity, for example. Mm, these are people you know, as you say, and love. They are, they are your friends. You've mm. seen them in the street. It's a natural thing. Of course, it also means that you maintain a focus on your own community. Mm. Now, that might seem a bit insular, but it works. Yes. We knew that we could not possibly solve the problems of Suffolk. Yes, so you want to do what you could do. And actually, in the essence of that very, very first meeting, which really the outcome of that meeting was no more than, well, we'd better try and do something. Mm. I think, you know, one of the things that came across to me, Lyndon, is that you you always wanted to ensure that you didn't overreach yourselves and your goals were achievable. Don't try and do anything you can't do. Yes. And if it's the community, intuitively, you know what's needed, don't you? Because you understand that community. I mean, just... You can get to know it. If you've been in a community as long as we have, there are 40 years, you know a lot of people. Mm. We've been there 40 years. Yes. And we knew the people who were having difficulties, etc. Mm. But when we uh, advertised the meeting, of course, you know, lots of people came. And most people came because they had experience. Exactly. They, mm. they were lived in. And so, you know, they were more than happy to sort of say, well, we don't know what to do. But if you can think up a few ideas, then we'll go along with it. Mm. But it was very important that you all sort of, you all had to use a rather sort of modern phrase, but I think it's meaningful in this context, you did sort of have ownership of it all, didn't you? Well, I wouldn't actually claim that we thought that we had ownership of it at the time. Mm. However, we once we'd started to move on the project and make contacts with the local authorities and various other centres, mm. I had a phone call from a very, well, he became a very good friend by the name of Alan Reynolds. And he was the dementia lead for the county, but he wasn't exactly in the same mould as your average bureaucrat, I assure mm. you. And he came and he sat in uh, in our front room and he, he said, well, what are you doing? Or what, do you, what were you like to trying to do? You know, I said, you know, we're trying to sort of provide some help and support, particularly for family carers and those that they care for. And we want to do it, you know, as a voluntary projects, etc. But we know that we need help, mm. particularly advice, etc. Uh, and he said, well, be careful. This is your project. Mm. You own it. And don't let any of us take it away from you. Ah, good advice. Because it's very easy to become dependent upon 
the professionals. Mm. But I think you were always pragmatic too, because although really good advice and, you know, it very much was you in the community, you weren't precious about it. So if you felt, as it progressed and as the you know time went on, if you felt that a, a statutory body could do something better than you were or you were just unable to do it, you know, you weren't precious about it. You said, well, let's do... I can't remember the example now, but you gave me one when we talked. Quite happy to give it up then. Well, we developed a model in our own mind. Mm. And that was that we can do so much, etc., and it can only be essentially a sort of the first aid level, if you like. Mm. We can't pick up people and put them into a hospital and all of this sort of thing that the professionals are required to do and all that social care is required to do. But uh, what we can do is we can provide the fundamentals, if you like, the primary care. Mm, mm. It's the primary uh, the care. primary support mm. in whatever way we can just to make the quality of life of people who are having to cope with the reality of dementia a little bit better. If we can make that a little bit better, then they will be much stronger in coping with it. Mm. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. Um, it absolutely does. And I think, you know, recognising that we needed the help of professionals or it would be good to have it. And this model sort of suggests that instead of the statutory authorities, the professionals, mm. calling upon the voluntary organisations in a community such as ours, we called on them. Exactly. That seems to be a model that should be procreated. Mm. Because you did say, Pippa, that, you know, we do know if you're actually going to do the job and you're in a community and so on, with a little bit of help, and as long as they're not just one person or whatever, you almost certainly will know best what's mm. needed. Mm. Mm. So it's um, better to come from the grassroots up, isn't it? Well, yes. You know, there are lots and lots of people around the country in communities such as ours they're amazing in what they can do and mm, what they mm, do. Mm. But they, they, sometimes they need a spark mm. and sometimes they just need a little bit of guidance. And you said I was the chair of the, this. I don't look at myself as being the chair of the Devlin Project. I'm the looker-afterer. <laughs> Fair enough. The project runs itself in a way. Mm, mm. Uh, but I and find... it's structured accordingly. Mm. It's, it's not bureaucratic. It's not, we don't spend all our time worrying about this, that and the other, etc. Mm. We just get on. Get on and do it. Mm. Yes. So by 2017, having set it up in, you know, begun to get going in 2009, you had over 100 volunteers, including more than 50 regulars, devoting an average of half a day per fortnight. About that. Mm. We've always had a policy of a lot of volunteers doing a little, so exactly. to speak, rather than the other way around. Mm. And the cost was, you know, when you worked it out, surprisingly small because it was an average of 8500 or £85 per annum per family of a person living with dementia. And that worked out for your area as a little more than £1 per head of the population in that four-mile radius. Well, compare that with the cost of uh, health care mm. and social care, mm. which runs at about one and a half thousand a head. Mm. Exactly. So you were really, really helping there. Well, we don't, we don't employ people. Yeah, yeah. We do it ourselves. Mm. Mm. If you were to take into account the time, etc., it would be significantly more, but it would still be quite cheap. Yes. Well, you know, you've uh, had evaluations done, haven't you, of the project? The Joseph Rowntree Foundation did a case study on it very early on, and uh, that was exciting because the lady came down for two days, etc., and really spent a lot of time there. And it was actually it was great because 
the thing that I found of great value in my contacts with the professional side of things was the affirmation that we were doing the right things. Mm, mm, yes. And I, I'm not quite sure because I couldn't find out which evaluation this was, but I don't know if this was the Joseph Rowntree one. And actually, there wasn't a date that I could see, but the potential savings, which seemed to make sense to me, £650 plus per person per week in delayed or avoided residential care places. I mean, of course they were going to be delayed at the very least. 2500 plus per person per week in reduced hospital overstaying. I, I, I hesitate to use well, this that. Is, this, this is the potential gains to the state, in a way. Mm, mm. And we've had cases, where I remember particularly uh, an elderly couple and uh, Nick and his wife, and, and he came to me well, quite early on, I suppose. He was local in the village, so look, I've come across this chap, etc. And he's as frail as they come. He's got real problems and he's doing uh, rehab and things like mm. this, etc. And his wife has got dementia and mm. she's as strong as an ox. And he's the sole care, etc. Mm. And I said, what is it, you know, that you want? He said, well, do you think you could talk to him? I said, well, I can't talk to him unless he wants to talk to me. Mm. Anyway, Jean, that was her, and she went back uh, the next time to this rehab class and... Mm. Uh, she had a word and she came back and said, yes, he will. So I wrote to him mm. and then uh, I said, you know, would have given me a ring? And he rang and we didn't do much at all. We just talked, etc. And he'd been an engineer and done engineering and various other things in his life. And I'd been obviously an engineer, but also other things, etc. We got on well and we chatted occasionally about every sort of two or three weeks or whatever. Uh, but he wouldn't come. He said, I can't make it because he lived a little way away. And then we had our annual garden party. This is a great affair. I, the, the Devonham garden party is uh, special to us. Basically, we have some very, very kind supporters who give out their garden, but not only do they give out their garden, they put on the garden party, all singing, all dancing. Mm. Marquee, and it's 150-odd of us. Wonderful. Uh, go to this. Thing. And it just brings the family together. mm, mm. Anyway, uh, we said, well, come along, so you, if you can. It was in the early, early days. And he said, well, I'll come. And he came and he brought his wife and he worked. He managed to come up and sit down and have a little bit to eat, etc. And then he said, well, I think I'll go back now. Well, you've probably got the picture of the frailty of the man mm. and the problems that he was facing. Mm. Well, Nick sort of came a little bit more and he came to the groups, etc. And eventually said to me, you know, Lyndon, this project is the finest thing that has happened to me in my life. Oh, my goodness. And I thought, sort of wow. <laughs> but he went on for a further three, four years, I think. Mm. And I would have said that he was on the critical list when mm. he came mm. to us. Mm. Now, that's not my doing or anybody else's doing. That's what a community project mm. can mm. achieve in mm. these circumstances. Mm. So you think, well, you look around and you see, oh, well, that maybe that wasn't quite as big a benefit. But if you can keep people out of hospital for a, a period or mm. you can keep people out of residential care for a period, mm. Mm. then these savings accrue. Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's about so much more and more importantly than the money, isn't it? I mean, that's the most wonderful story. And actually, I was looking because, you know, your website, for anybody listening, um, just Google the Devon and Project, it's an extremely good website. It was what first attracted my attention. 
And one of the good things about it, it seems to be quite sort of interactive. People are always coming and saying things on it and you have your stories and our stories. And along the same vein, there was a wonderful bit I saw. It was Caroline's story. And it was in 2018 and her and her husband have been supported by the Debenham Project since 2016. And there was a quote, which was a lovely quote. She said, um, almost immediately we found ourselves in a trusting relationship with the volunteers who instinctively knew when we needed some TLC. This meant so much when we felt very vulnerable. To know that we're not alone is immensely comforting. Knowing that we are held and looked out for. They're always there to answer questions, but also to signpost if need be, and help us keep things in perspective rather than worry about what's ahead. I love the idea of this couple being held by the community. It's a lovely image, isn't it? Really, you're just supporting each other, literally. We like to think of the Devlin Project as, as a family. And I usually say, you can join a family, but we're not going to let you leave. <laughs> yeah, you're stuck with your family, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. We are still there if they've been caring for somebody and they've passed on, etc. We're still always there. So have your volunteer numbers gone up? Well, we are fairly mature in that sense. They go up and down a little bit. Mm -hmm. We don't worry, worry about that. We get contacted on a pretty regular basis. Somebody says, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to think about a volunteer, etc. So we get three, four, five time mm -hmm. type people a year. But, you know, mostly people are just with us for a long term. Mm, absolutely. I'm sure they are, because I expect um, they get a lot out of it. Well, we always believe that we get more out of it than we put in. And we, we hope that, you know, what we offer to people is worthwhile. And it quite obviously but we is. Don't, we don't do it for that, really. Mm, mm. We don't do it because, you know, we do it just because it's there and it has to be done. Mm. And tell me about what you did when you realised, as we all did, that, you know, there was going to be a oh. lockdown <laughs> and we were going to face privations <laughs> and we couldn't go out of our homes. What happened in Debenham? Serendipity takes quite a large part of it, I think, mm. because um, the week that the potential lockdown was announced, mm. etc., we had a fit club and we had a carers club in that week and so on. But uh, the fit club, we had always planned to video it so that we could put it online. Because we have anything up to about 20 participants and it's chair-based, mm. seated. And uh, basically, we sort of exercise for about 20 minutes and then we feed ourselves chocolate biscuits. <laughs> and then we just sort of finish off with another 20 minutes. Mm. So it's not really about fitness it's about sociability of and, but also flexibility and balance and all the things that you'd like to think of as being as exercise values mm -hmm. and so um, we ran this through on that particular Tuesday and then we obviously we had to shut the project down at that point mm. so all our groups were stopped and suspended our face-to-face -face work had to go as well and so we had nothing really Except, you know, well, what are we going to do? And the obvious thing was we're going to have to try and adapt what we do as much as possible and provide it online, by telephone, by newsletter, really just to try and make sure that all the people that we were trying to support didn't feel on their own. Because mm. we recognized immediately that this was going to be a, a serious pressure, for, particularly for family carers. Because mm. 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 it was such a, it was going to be was such a tight lockdown. And bear in mind, of course, that most of us are in the vulnerable group anyway. Yes, yes. But it doesn't matter whether we're volunteers or participants. Mm, of course. And, and how did you come up with the idea of this? It's a very good, your well-being package. It followed the pattern of the project over the years, etc. Mm -hmm. 
if there was something that seemed like a good idea, we'd do it. Mm. You know, we wouldn't worry about it. We'd just get on and do it. If it didn't work out, well, that's not a problem. We haven't wasted anything, mm. but probably mm. it will because you wouldn't have thought about it otherwise. Mm. And exercise was the first thing we tried. And then we thought, well, what else could we do? And then we have a very good volunteer. He's a professional musician. Uh, we said, well, we've got our songbook. And he said, yes, because we, we produced a, a sing-along songbook for mm. uh, various occasions. And he said, right, okay. I said, well, can you record it and record it alongside the words? And then they can use it at home. And right. so he did, and so that was that. And we'd had a reminiscence group, and we thought about that, but that was going to be a bit more difficult. And we had already sort of thought about relaxation, and there's a lady who delivered um, relaxation techniques and mindfulness and so on, and we'd already got the paperwork that she'd got, the documents, the mm. guides. So we thought, well, we'll put those on. But it wasn't designed to be a package. None of it was actually designed in the classic sense. We didn't sort of issue a, a contract or a, a wish for bids to do this particular project. We just um, said, well, let's put this up and then do that and so on, and, uh, and it evolved. It struck me, actually, when I was looking around for today's chat, that you've done what many communities have done, but because so much was already in place, which is what you've just been saying, really, your efforts are very concentrated and coordinated and put together. Well, I, uh, it's very kind of you to say it, but I think that uh, there's a certain amount of suck it and see. Yes, but somehow or other within your community, you've generated this terrific sort of coming together. And sometimes you've used technology very well, but other times it's using a phone, phone a friend or or write a letter. And I love the way you said, you know, you never know, together we might create Debenham's very own internet-free social media. It's very clever. And I think people probably are going back to writing letters a bit more, you know. Well, I, I hope they do. Those were just a suggestion, and I'll keep sort of saying to people, well, did you write a letter or whatever? Mm. And maybe it'll take off and maybe it won't. Mm. But that's not the point. It's that people know that you're thinking about them and you you make these suggestions. They read that and they say, oh, that was nice. Oh, I, mm. you know, and they realise. They feel a bit more positive and, mm. and, and they can come back and say, well, you know, oh, thank you for that. I appreciate mm. that. A number of people that do come back and say, you know, oh, thank you for the letter. Uh, we do appreciate it. We know it takes a lot of work and uh, it does. Yes. But it's, it means that they don't feel on their own. They still feel that they're part of the family, even if they're mm. away from it. You sort of create a, a virtuous, not a circle exactly, but it's um, reciprocal and it's self-generating and it's almost like the more love you give out, the more love you get back, you know. Well, I, th I think there are, that particular thing has been around for a long, 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 long time. You give and you get more back. back. Absolutely, but, you know, you're a, you're a classic sort of case of it, so... Well, I think everybody in this community is a classic case of that. It's not me. It's, you know, the, the project works because it belongs to the community. Absolutely. It is not the Debenham project, and here is our chief executive. No, of course. Um, it's not like that at all. No, I can see, and you're always at huge pains to say that, but uh, in my experience, it takes one or two people with a bit of get up and go that will actually bring all this stuff together. You know, anyway, Lyndon, it's been fascinating talking to you. It really has, and I think you're far too modest, though. So um, I know it's the whole of Debenham, and I completely understand that, but I think it's just, you know, it's an inspiration for all communities, and it just shows what you can do 
when you want to, when everybody's involved and when you, you keep it doable and you keep it local and you keep it simple and you avoid bureaucracy. Yes, but also, you know, it does take investment. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes investment from various sources. Mm. Well, all communities are different. Mm. So, you know, if there's a plea, it's, if we are to tackle this problem of dementia, mm. then very significant support from the local authorities, the NHS and so on, and government has to be put in place. Mm. And they, they've got to work closely with the voluntary sector in the communities. Mm. Mm. But I think the way round you're doing it, it seems to work very well. So you know what you need and then you call on the experts and the outside bodies and for what you need rather than them imposing what they think you need. I assure you it's not always quite like that. <laughs> no. no, but anyway, um, whatever you're doing, it seems to be working very well. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you indeed. Thank you. Lyndon Jackson is far too self-effacing. The Debenham Project is, of course, a community project that couldn't work without the community's involvement. But in my experience, it always takes one person to inspire and galvanise others. And in this case, there's no doubt in my mind that this person is Lyndon Jackson, though he may not thank me for saying so. There are so many aspects I love about the project, that it is by the people, for the people. In short, it's all about the people it involves. But it's down to earth, realistic, local and workable. Lyndon and I recorded the podcast some time ago. We spoke again recently and he brought me up to date. Though many parts of the project were forced to stop during the pandemic, it's now up and running again at about 60% of its original capacity. They lost two out of three of their lunch clubs and had a job rebuilding them. The sad truth is that people died or became too ill to volunteer during that time. But Lyndon remains positive. The online wellbeing package still contains all its various aspects, such as exercise, mindfulness, music, in one place, and it's excellent. And they've developed a Dementia Action Partnership with the NHS and Social Services to enhance the concept of Suffolk being dementia-friendly, a phrase that is often banded about but not always understood. For Suffolk, for Linden, this means providing community support, enabling those with dementia and their families to live better lives. Ever the realist, Lyndon ends our recent chat by telling me that though like everyone else they've been through difficult times, they are keen to take one step at a time. With this quietly spoken, thoughtful man at the fore, he'd hate me to say leading from the front, I'm hopeful that the Debenham Project will continue to make its sound, steady, meaningful path supporting its community along the way and providing a wonderful vision of care. Visit www.the-debenham-project.org.uk to see for yourself. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.